There are two words in any language. In the English language, we've got about 90 nations here at Andrews University, so any of your languages, two words that you cannot define, you cannot define these two words without describing the face. I defy you to define these words without describing the face. Word number one, define the word smile without referring to a face. Let me put a, let me put a smile on the screen. Does that qualify? Does that qualify as a smile? Isn't that a beautiful smile? Hallelujah. What a cherub. Now, I want you to define a smile without describing that face. How do you define a smile without describing the face? Can't do it. Let me put another word. Any language on earth, the word for frown. Can you define a frown without describing a face? Does that work for a frown? Ladies and gentlemen, the point is simple. The face is the window to the soul. If you want to look into a person's soul, gaze into her face. By the way, that is precisely the truth about Almighty God Himself. If you want to look into God's soul, you've got to gaze into His face. I want you to take a look at a picture. I'm not going to put it on the screen. The picture's in your Bible. Uh, a stunning prophecy. Bible's last book, the book of the Apocalypse. Open your Bible, please, because, Doug, we have tried to bookend your series with a series that we're calling Rumors from the East. We're doing a series on prophecy because you and I both believe the time has come for us to get back to the most significant prophecies on earth. And the ones you're covering and the ones we, we're covering, I think, qualify. Go to the Bible's last book, the book of Revelation, chapter 18. And I know some of you are saying, hey, wait a minute, hold on, time out, Dwight. You were already at Revelation 18 last week. And you're absolutely right. You're right. But we're going back today. I had not planned to go back today. But we are going back today. You know why? Because once in a while, a preacher realizes that he flew too fast by a picture that deserved a longer gaze. And oh boy, when I got home, it was a long Sabbath, last Sabbath. I got, home in, I got home in the evening and as I was kind of brooding over the day, I had this very certain sense that the Spirit had wanted us to linger longer at a place where we did not linger. And I said, oh God, we've got to go back. We just have to go back. And so I'm inserting into our rumors from the East. I'm inserting a sermon here. The fact of the matter is, though, we have the prerogative preachers. And women can change their minds anytime they wish. And that's not a chauvinistic statement because I'm referring to preachers. So we can change our minds. And we have. Last uh, Sabbath was the last sunrise. That's what we called it, the last sunrise. Why don't we call this one the last sunrise revisited? Take your Bible, please. The book of Revelation, if you already found it. Revelation chapter 18. I'm going to be in the New King James Version. That's the version you're using, Pastor Doug. Is it not right? New King James, sort of. Some of the screens were uh, King James last night. Yeah, so you do them both. Back and forth. Keeps us, keeps us on our toes. That's good. Revelation chapter 18. This is the New King James. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible for this teaching this morning, we have a pew Bible. It's the New King James Version, and it's right in front of you. Pull it out. Let me give you the page number. It would be page 832. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Here we go. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his Glory. Hallelujah. As we noted last Sabbath, this spectacular explosion of glory takes place just before the return of Christ. 
How do we know? Because the four verses later, the plagues are mentioned. And everybody knows the seven last plagues mark the end of human history as we know it. So just before the end, this explosion. You say, hey, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said we're going to see the face of God here. We are. Give me just a moment. In fact, what we need to do is we need to line up that sequence of snapshots from last week. Can we just quickly put those four snapshots up? And we're looking for the face of God. Let's put the four snapshots up. You jot them down. Pull out your study guide from today's worship bulletin. There's a study guide in your worship bulletin. Pull it out, please. It's a brand new study guide. It's not the same as last week. You're going to need this one. Pull it out. Ushers, thank you. Stand up and let's go. Hold your hand up. If you didn't get a study guide, two or three of you came in with one bulletin. You need a study guide today. A dynamite quotation is waiting for you in that study guide. And while the ushers are getting it to the balcony in here, let me just say a word to those of you who are watching on television Let me put a website. Do you see that website on your screen right now? www.pmchurch.tv Go to pmchurch.tv and click onto this series, Rumors from the East. We're noting apocalyptic prophecies that come out of the East. Rumors from the East. And today's teaching, new title, we're putting it up there, The Last Sunrise Revisited. Click onto that title and where it says Study Guide, you click and you get the same study guide that we have right here. By the way, if you weren't here last week and you're in the building or outside the building, you weren't here, go to that same website and you can get last week's message. You can get it in for your MP3 player. You can get the study guide from last week. And now we have video streaming so you can actually get the entire presentation, pictures and all. So go to that website, pmchurch.tv. All right, jot it down, please. Revelation 18.1. Write it in because I want you to have these four snapshots. Revelation 18.1. Write in uh, Revelation. In your study guide. I got an email this last week from my friend John Pauline, who's a professor at the Theological Seminary here on campus. He's a New Testament scholar. He's a specialist in the Apocalypse, the Bible's last book. And uh, John said, hey, Dwight, thanks for the series. I'm into it with you. I want to share with you a chapter from a book I'm writing right now. John is writing a book on Armageddon. Okay? So he says, here's a chapter I've just written. Take a look at it. I was delighted to read that chapter, and as I'm reading John's chapter, I said, yeah, thank you, because it confirms what you and I noted in our study last week. Namely, New Testament scholars are clear that nearly every phrase in the book of Revelation is borrowed from the Old Testament. Nearly every phrase is borrowed. Only John calls them, and I love his terminology, he calls them echoes or allusions. I want to tell you something we learned last week. That Revelation 18.1 is a powerful allusion, a direct linkage back to the Old Testament, back to the book of Ezekiel. And so would you write that down first, please? Write in Ezekiel. In case you weren't here last week, you need to know that this snapshot is crucial. Ezekiel chapter 43, page 590 in your pew Bible. I'm finding it too. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel. There it is. Chapter 43. Take a look at this picture. Wow. Ezekiel 43. All right. Ezekiel 43. You got it there. Verse 1. Afterward, he, God, brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the where? What direction? Key word in this teaching series. East, 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 east. The gate that faces toward the east. Verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Key word again. His voice. God's voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with His glory. Have you heard those words before? 
But of course, we just read them in Revelation 18.1. In fact, let's put that split screen up again. Notice how these two verses, Ezekiel 43.2 and Revelation 18.1, both end with almost the identical imagery. Revelation, uh, Ezekiel 43 ends with, and the earth shone with his glory. And Revelation 18.1 ends with, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Hey, two critical clues. In order to understand what's really happening in Revelation 18.1, two clues. You remember this? Clue number one. Clue number one, put it on the screen, please. There it is. I'll keep moving and they'll find that. Clue number one. Not on that screen either. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure which screen. You know, Doug, sometimes you, you don't know which screen. Oh, there it is. And they put both of them up. There you go. Clue number one. Vital. The glory that fills the earth. This is what we get from Ezekiel 43. The glory that fills the earth is the glory of God himself. Now, Revelation says it's an angel. But we know from the, where John borrowed the metaphor that, in fact, it's not an angel. Hey, wait a minute. Can an angel light up anything on his own? On his own? No, because angels and humans are identical. We are created beings. Our glory is always derived from an external source, like the moon. Can the moon light up a blooming thing in the universe? Nada. Nothing. Why? Because it has to have the sun shining on it. They say, well, come on, angels come down and the people fall over as dead. You know why? Because they've just been in the very presence of God and it's still on them when they come down. Boom! People see it. Okay? So, vital clue number one. The glory in Revelation 18 is the glory of God. And clue number two, put that up, please. The glory that fills the earth comes from the east. Why is that so important? Because you tell me. Every single day on this planet, since the beginning of time, something has happened in the east. What is that something? Now, give me that picture. Give me that picture of the sunrise. Every day. Question, does the Bible predict an apocalyptic sunrise just before the return of Christ? Answer, write it down, Malachi. Let's go back to Malachi. One more snapshot to go after this one. Malachi chapter 4. I want you to see this. You have to see it in your own Bible. What's the page number? 646. Malachi chapter 4. The Old Testament's last page. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Take a look at this. God is speaking here, but to you who fear my name, capital M, to you who fear my name, the Son, capital S, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, we know from verse 5 that the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord is just about to happen. Now, that's code language in the Old Testament for the end of time. The end of time is just about to happen, but before the world ends, the sun comes up. One last spectacular apocalyptic sunrise, capital S Sun. So here's the question. Who is that capital S Sun that will flood earth one last time with the glory of God himself? Who is that capital S Sun? Here's where we went too fast last week. Too fast. Final snapshot. Write it in your study guide, please. 2 Corinthians. I want to go to 2 Corinthians. I want to slow us way down. Because what are we looking for? We're looking for the face of God. Alright? Slow down now. We're here now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. You have to see it in your own Bible. Page number 778. 
All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul is writing, here we go, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, quick review. In the history of this planet, there was a moment when God was surrounded down here by utter darkness, and then He gave a command. Do you remember what that command was? What was that command? Let... There be what? Let there be light. Okay, so Paul said, hey, go back to the first day of creation. For it is the God who commanded light to shine. By the way, the Greek word for light is L-A-M-P-O. Lampo. From whence comes our English word? Lamp. What is a lamp? It's that which shines. Lampo. So, let's go back again. For it is the God who commanded the light to lampo. The lamp out of the darkness who has lamped into our hearts. Now notice this. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. If you want to find God's glory on this planet, where should we go, Paul? He says, I'm going to tell you right now. To find the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Almighty God. The light of the glory of that God shines most brightly on earth in only one place. And that is the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. So would you write it down, please? Write it down in your study guide. God's glory shines best and brightest in Jesus' face. And that's where we hurried by too quickly last time. I want to linger right there. I got up early last Sunday morning. And I pulled out a book that I've been working my way through, a brand new book, written by a Baptist uh, pastor preacher, well-known evangelical community, award-winning author. His name is John Piper. Since 1980, he's been the pastor of the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. John Piper has written a stirring book called God is the Gospel. And as I read a paragraph in that book early last Sunday morning, the light went on. I said, that's it. And I want to share with you what I read. You have it in your study guide. In fact, you have to fill it in in order to make this quotation complete. These are the words of John Piper. Here we go. The spiritual beauty of Christ. Now, write it in. The spiritual beauty of Christ is Christ in action. Key word. The spiritual beauty of Christ is Christ in action. What's he talking about? Oh, now the long dash. And then he unpacks that one line. What's Christ in action? It's Christ loving and Christ touching lepers. And Christ blessing children and healing the crippled and raising the dead and commanding demons and teaching with unrivaled authority and silencing the skeptics and rebuking his disciples and predicting the details of his death and setting his face like flint to Jerusalem and weeping over the city and silent before his accusers and meekly sovereign over Pilate and crucified, and praying for his enemies, and forgiving a thief, and caring for his mother while in agony, and giving up his spirit in death, and rising from the dead. Such is the glory of Christ, end quote. Wow! Did you get that? That is so moving. That line, the spiritual beauty of Christ, is Christ in action. And that's where the light bulb went, bing! I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The beauty of Jesus and the glory of God are all contained in the life Jesus lived and in the death Jesus died. 
I mean, the good news is not so much. I know it's important, especially with a theological seminary on this campus. I know it's important that we have these theological for- formulations. I know we need those dusty old formulas. But that isn't, where the, that isn't where the glory is. It's not in the formula. It's in the story. It's in the stories of Jesus while he was here. That's the glory. In fact, would you write that down, please? The glory is the story. And that's what clicked with me. The glory is the story. Not a formula. Not a 28-point list. The glory is the story. The problem is, come on, let's be honest. We'll be really honest. The problem is, you and I are way too much in a hurry. Hurry, 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 hurry. Oh, I've read that story before. I already know how it ends. Give me the next one. We're always hurrying through the Gospels. A big deal. Come on, I heard it. And in the process, look what we miss. Look what we miss. I've written these words in the back of my Bible. I've had them back there for years. I want to share it with you. I want to put them. Words written a hundred years ago. You have to fill this in too. Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? This is Review and Herald, June 3, 1890. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are open to all people. And were thousands of the most gifted men to devote their whole time. If we had a thousand Doug Bachelors and lined them up in front of us and they spent 24-7 their whole time setting forth Jesus always before us, studying how they might portray his matchless charms, they would never, they would never exhaust that subject. You can't exhaust it. The matchless, the matchless charms of Jesus cannot be exhausted. Isn't that incredible? We hurry. Oh, I don't have to. Come on, I got to go. You can't exhaust it. That's, that's why, guys, you can go back to the same old story over, the stories, over and over and over again. And it, every, every time can be a new revival for you. Every time something fresh comes in and just... Ugh, Renews you. Whoa. We're too much in a hurry. That's the problem. But, the fact of the matter is, if I read my Bible correctly here in Revelation 18, verse 1, there is going to be a global revival at the end of time before Christ returns. You can call it the last sunrise if you want to, be my guest. But there will be this global revival that will come as a result of the glory of God in the face of Jesus illuminating an entire generation. Illuminating the entire world. How will it happen? Hmm? What will happen for for us to know it's a global revival? Think with me for a moment. Come on, just think, think. Do you suppose this, this glorious explosion of God's glory at the end of time, do you suppose that will be very similar to the revival that began the church in the beginning? I want you to take a look at this portrait of the people who prayed their way through Pentecost. Just, just for a quick second, go back to the book of Acts. This is incredible. This is the portrait of the church that went through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This would be Acts chapter 4. Page 735. Take a look at this, will you? Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I love this. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
never been to the seminary, didn't even have a college degree. When they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Would you write that down? That's what identified the church in the beginning. They were a people, men, women, and children, who had been, had been with Jesus. Keep writing. Keep writing. Because you see, when you've been with Jesus, it shows. You can't hide it. His glory shines from your story. Keep writing. Keep writing because, you see, it's the law of mirrors. They never reflect themselves. They reflect the one they're pointed at. Have you ever heard a mirror say, I want to look at me? There's a mirror on earth that can look at itself. It's impossible. The function of a mirror is to only reflect what it is pointed at. Isn't that true? I used to bug my mother to death. Just was talking to her last night after the, after the meeting here. She lives out in California. I used to drive her crazy. I know I, I did that to my kid brother and my sister. I never tried this trick with my, with my father. I knew he would tan my hide. But dad did a lot of traveling. He was a preacher too. And so mother would have family worship with us. My, my, my third grade Christmas, my parents gave me a, a gift. It was my father's old Swiss watch. Oh, Benrus. Gra- glass crystal. Not nice. This is a $9.99 Walmart special. You know, they got these plastic crystals. But his was a nice glass crystal. And I discovered something about watch crystals. I'd be sitting there in worship. Mom would be reading away from the devotional book. And the sunlight through that Japanese window was streaming in. And I discovered that if you will just, if you will just align your crystal just right, you can take the glory of that golden ball and bring it into the room. So I, when I figured that out, man, I said, this is something else. And so I got that little gold ball to crawl all across the floor. Of course, my kid brother, I got to go all the way across. The, and then I going up the backside of my mother, going up the back. Is, she, she, this, she's not going to see this. And I get that little golden ball coming up the side of her face. And of course, Greg and Carrie just say, and going up the side of her face. And then you know what you do? You just go, just in her eye. I am so embarrassed. My poor mother. I don't think there's a kid alive who has not discovered the joy of a watch crystal. Because what? It's the law of mirrors. They will reflect what they are pointed at. And if you point them at the sun, little s sun, if you point a little mirror at a little s sun, it blazes like the sun has just moved in. Isn't that right? Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, New Living Translation. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The law of the mirrors. It's where you point it. And that's the secret of the New Testament church. They all had their mirrors adjusted straight toward the sun. Capital S, sun of righteousness. And wherever those people moved, they kept shining the sun in people's eyes. And so people weren't thinking of the people. They were thinking of the one they were reflecting. Huh? That's it. It's all the mirrors. That's the way it was in the revival. The beginning of the church. You know something else? That's the way it was with the revival at the beginning of the Seventh-day Adventist community of faith. Let me quote from another Baptist. This one, a confirmed skeptic named William Miller, who found Christ in the Scriptures 
and became the catalyst for one of the great spiritual revivals of the 19th century. These are his words now from the memoirs of William Miller, Bliss's memoirs. These are the words of William Miller. I was constrained. He found Christ in the Bible, all right? This is after his conversion. He was a deist, total skeptic. I was constrained to admit that the Scriptures must be a revelation from God. They became my delight. And I wish you'd write this down, please. And in Jesus, I found a friend. That's how it began. In Jesus, I found a friend. The Savior became to me the chiefest among 10,000. And the Scriptures, which before were dark and contradictory, now became the lamp to my feet and light to my path. End quote. I found Jesus in the Bible as a friend. William Miller, that New York skeptic turned preacher, began to preach the end of the world and the return of Christ. And as the saying goes, the rest is history. Do you know what kind of a revival his preaching ignited? Here's a description of that revival. You have it in your study guide. All who found peace in Christ through the preaching of William Miller. All who found peace in in Christ longed to see others share the blessing. The hearts of parents were turned to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. The barriers of pride and reserve were swept away. Heartfelt confessions were made and the members of the household labored for the salvation of those who were nearest and dearest. I'm telling you what, it was moving for me to sit on this front pew and to watch those names go up one category after another, after another, after another. They labored for the salvation of those who were nearest and dearest. Of that revival, the uh, book Great Controversy makes this startling claim. You have it there in your study guide. Isn't this something of all the great religious movements since the days of the apostles? None have been more free from human imperfection and the wiles of Satan than was that of the autumn of 1844. That's quite a statement. In the history of... Of Christianity. So here's the question. As it was there in the beginning, can it become here in the ending? I mean, what will it take? What would it take for a Revelation 18.1 kind of revival to burst out here at Andrews University? In your home? My marriage? My heart? What would it take? Could it, could it have something to do with the with simply asking for it. I want to end uh, with a, a very simple prayer. I want to share this prayer with you. Once I found this prayer and realized what it was really asking for, I have it taped up where I have worship every morning. It's taped on the wall. So every morning when I sit down to worship, those words are right there. It's a, in the English, uh, those of you who want something majestic and spectacular and complicated, Uh, to, to be the prayer, I'm telling you what, it is so simple and short. It's just five words long in the English. It's a prayer of Moses. It came at a, it came at an awful time of crisis. But Moses, in the midst of, of, of that crisis, as a leader, the, the, a, a passion is welling up in his heart to know God, to know God more deeply. And so Moses prays this five-word prayer, and I've got to end with you seeing it in your Bible, not on the screen. Please see it in the Bible you brought. Go back to the book of Exodus, please. Exodus chapter 33. Five words long. His prayer spills out with this simple, simple little phrase. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Here it is. You see it there. And he said... 
And he said, please. I'm going to add the words, oh God. Please, oh God, show me. Show me your glory. Did you scribble that down? Please, oh God, show me your glory. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to go read the sordid story of, his, of, of Exodus 32 and 33 every morning in order to pray that prayer. Forget that story. You can read, in fact, just pick a story from the Gospels. Any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just pick one Gospel, stick all the way through it, read only one story a day. But every time you read that story about Jesus, you pray this prayer, please, oh God, please, would you show me your glory. Jerry, just a moment ago, you had us singing, and I thought, oh man, what a song to pick for today. You didn't know that we were going to end up here, but I, I scribbled the words down on my notes here. Lord, let your, let your light... Light up your face and shine on us. Yeah. That's the prayer. Please, dear God. I'm reading another story of Jesus. Please, dear God, let me, show me your glory. Because the promise is that we can find the knowledge, the light of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean, can you imagine if 300 people every day went to their knees and adjusted their mirrors so that the mirrors were looking full into Christ's face. Can you imagine what would happen on this campus and in this community? Huh? 3,000 people pleading with God, show me your glory in the face of Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, there are a thousand ways every day for my mirror to get knocked around. I tell you what, I try not to lose my Christian experience every day driving into, the, into, into church at the stoplight here in town. Impatience. What's the problem with that guy? This is a turn lane. Turn! Turn! And then they recognize me. There went my mirror. I had it set up. It was pointing at Jesus, but I just whacked it out. Bratty roommate will do it every time. Trying to be smart with your spouse. A little snide jab. Gotcha. Mirror out of whack. A little white lie. I mean, come on. Big deal. Mirror out of whack. Lust. When you have lust, when you have lust in your heart, that mirror that was pointed at Jesus is reversed and it's pointing straight at you. That's what lust is. I love me most of all. Out of whack. Come on, guys. Every single morning when we, when we come to Jesus and we pray this prayer, please, oh God, show me your glory in the face of Jesus. When we come to Jesus, He says, okay, are you serious? Are you serious? Because I'm sending the Spirit. He's right there now. Okay. Oh, that was, ooh, ooh, yesterday was a bad day, wasn't it? Whoa, whoa. And in that quiet time with him, the mirror gets realigned. And it looks full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hallelujah, what do you say?
That's it, guys. That's it. You got to get the mirror refocused every day. Every day. 3,000 people on their knees praying that. Come on, put that prayer up there for me, please. Praying every day. Please, oh God, show me your glory in the face of Jesus. 3,000 people. This last Wednesday afternoon, I had the privilege of meeting with our student leaders on this campus, spiritual leaders on this campus, some of the top spiritual leaders. We had worship together. And then at the end of worship, I said, okay, hey guys, would you, would you just write this down? I didn't have any idea about today. But I said, just for our worship, we were having a get acquainted time. Would you write down what is top, at your, top of your spiritual wish list for Andrews University? Okay, these are our top spiritual leaders. And I had Rebecca Prouty, who works over there at the uh, CYE. I had her run it off. I want to read to you what some of our leaders are saying. I mean, these are all beautiful. Let me just pick a few. This is their wish list, spiritual wish list for this year at Andrews University. Here's one. One student leader, that every student will see God working on this campus and that everyone will choose to be a passionate follower of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here's another one. Here's another student. Unity, empowerment through the Holy Spirit and recognition of God's miraculous interventions for us. Here's another one. That all the students at Andrews would develop a relationship with Christ, a genuine relationship, and experience Him and be on fire for Christ. Praise God. Oh, we had some administrators there. Let me read one from an administrator. That God would place His mark on every corner of this institution and that we would help Him place it there. You know what? Our leaders are dreaming of this campus being set ablaze by the glory that shines in the face of Jesus. And I say, you and I ought to join Him. What do you say? Come on. Let's pray it. Pray that prayer. Please, oh God, show me your glory in the face of Jesus. Pray it every morning as you read another gospel story. And He will do just that.